Welcome to the Enneagram Journey. This is an exciting time of year for us as we're preparing for Boot Camp 2 here in Dallas. This year we're going to focus on relationships and parenting. My daughter Joey, who's an 8, and her husband Billy, who's a 9, have been married for 15 years. They have two boys, and they're also both doing some Enneagram teaching around the country. They're with me for today's conversation, and we have a a lot of exciting new understanding of the Enneagram to share, and we often discover things while we're talking. So I hope you discover something new while you're listening to this podcast with the two of them. I hope you can join us for boot camp. You won't regret it. Welcome back to the Enneagram journey. My guests today are my daughter, Joey, who's an eight, and my son-in-law, Billy, who's a nine. And we're going to talk about relationships and all kinds of relationships for the next two episodes. I think you'll enjoy hearing them and us. So Joey, why don't you start and tell them a little bit about you? So I'm Joey, and if you've heard mom teach ever, then you know me better than I know you, probably. I um, just turned 40, and I've known the Enneagram since I was 19. So I've known the Enneagram longer than I haven't. Uh, which is pretty awesome. I am the vice president for admissions, financial aid, and alumni relations at John Paul II High School. And I love teaching the Enneagram and have had some great opportunities to do so in the last year. And I'm Billy, and I am the husband of Joey and the son-in-law of Suzanne. And I'm an Enneagram 9. I also have known the Enneagram since... I was 18, so uh, my whole adult life I've known the Enneagram, um, and this is a, a wonderful opportunity to, to come on and, and talk about the Enneagram and all that it has to offer. I am the program director for the Jindal Young Scholars Program at the University of Texas at Dallas. Um, I've had uh, some, some really cool opportunities to teach the Enneagram over the last couple of years, and I'm really looking forward to where this is headed. One of the things I want to start with is that I um, am aware that when you all started to leave home, and you're the oldest of the children, and when you all started to leave home, you came back and you would say regularly, you know, our family's not like other families. And I, I'm not sure I ever knew what that meant. And it occurred to me about, I don't know, maybe 18 months ago, and I've been thinking about it since, I wonder if the Enneagram is the reason that our family's not like other families, whatever that means for us. Because uh, sometimes y'all have talked about the fact that I think there are a lot of families who, who don't talk about the big stuff, and that's neither right nor wrong, but it's different from our family. We do talk about the big stuff. And I, I guess, Billy, I want to start with you and talk about what it's like to come into our family. <laughs> like, tricky, I would think. I hope good. It definitely is good. It, it, and it was different. Um, being aware of the tool in the Enneagram. Um, and then it was, it was still kind of new when I came into the picture. But having that uh, at our disposal to kind of work with and sort of unpack the reasons and motivations and behind all the actions and words um, was, was really neat. Um, and it was, it was hard at times too, cause I didn't understand and it was, um, new 
but yet you could see from the beginning that it was effective and it felt right. So, oh. so um, let's, let's kind of keep that as a platform for us to work off of so that the expectation for everybody is that all families are different. They all have different tools and different histories and different ways of doing things. And we're speaking from 20 years of Enneagram history. Why don't you guys talk about your relationship and maybe in decades you could talk about it. I think that'd be really helpful. And uh, I might interrupt at times to ask a question. Or I would say that going back to, you know, us doing family uh, different maybe from other people, I I think one of the things that even pre-Enneagram, so when I was being brought up, um, I've heard of families that had family meetings, uh, but I, I, we, I don't know how many families had them as regularly as we did, <laughs> which basically came down to if um, it, it really, it was relational. When, when we weren't getting along as a family unit and there was, it had to do with something relational, then we would come together for a family meeting. Introducing the Enneagram into that um, just made us all have a lot more space for everyone, um, which I know we say that um, all the time. And on a grand scale, you can see it. But even in your own family systems, it really helps with understanding. So for Billy and I, who started dating in our teens, we had this amazing tool at our disposal um, to understand where I was coming from and my motivations as a very aggressive eight and where Billy was coming from as a very withdrawing nine. You want to pick it up from there, babe? Sure. <laughs> I also, it, it sounds kind of cool that we've been together decades. Um, that's, that's both neat and makes me feel old at the same time. But I agree with you in that the Enneagram as a tool obviously helps you kind of unpack why you do what you do, but then in a relationship, it's, it's sort of doubly helpful because I could tell when things weren't going well, my role in that and how I could sort of, uh, be my better self. Right. And then I also understood, um, your perspective on things. Right. And then, and then it, it helped in those sort of difficult times um, but then also just as we were, you know, kind of just doing life together, there was, you know, me trying to be better, you trying to be better. But then there was sort of what we had was and, and what we're doing is is uh, greater than the sum of the parts, I guess. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's it, it's it's been it's been good. So I'm going to I'm going to throw a specific in there, a non hypothetical I would say early on, for sure, one of the one of the ways I saw it um, help us the most, and in our um, late teens and early twenties, for sure, is I love a good fight. And the last thing Billy Shuey wants to do is fight, argue, have any minor disagreement, and those charge me up, and. That was, um, I think that's, that's got to be terribly, terribly hard to navigate for any couple. But if you don't have the Enneagram to know that, 
um, I have so much energy at the surface just bubbling all the time. And so um, to flash to anger is for me just as um, life-giving as cheering for a basketball game. And that because the energy is the same, the energy is the same and it feels real and genuine. Mm -hmm. it, it's that's what I'm feeling in the moment. So let's just do it to the nth degree. So if, if you were asked to settle down, that is that the same as don't be passionate, it's terribly patronizing. Well, and, and the relationship with Billy and the boys are the most important things in your life. So you're being told to be less passionate about the most important thing in your life because that's how you, one of the ways that you express passion. Exactly. It's one of, every, it's yeah, one it's of a myriad of ways, yeah. but people have the hardest time with that. Yep. And I have found tend to label me from that yep. and not that I'm equally as passionate um, in the way that I love, in the way mm. that I um, mourn in the way that I, that I have all feelings. Yeah. What you got on that, Billy? Yeah. And you know, what I would add to that is, <clears throat> you know, eights have the most energy on the Enneagram and nines have the least. And so you can imagine that, that, that can be interesting in a relationship. But what I've learned is that for an eight in a relationship, intensity equals intimacy. So good, bad, everything in the middle there's only one way for Joey to do things, right? And it's all the way and it's full throttle. And I'm much more laid back than that. But what I've realized is that uh, there's there's some middle ground in there, right, for, for me to, to meet Joey. And um, so I notice when I withdraw more or kind of pull back or, you know, duck and cover from any impending conflict that may be around the corner that's a red flag to kind of to kick it in gear and come back the other way and conversely for me also I mean I it can't just be oh well just because mine is you know feels genuine and that it's all my feelings that's the right way for me um and it and it's happened more in these decades I've seen that I can um communicate to Billy what I'm feeling mm. in a way that's not quite so loud mm -hmm. and um, imposing. Mm, that's and he, um, we, finding each other in the middle more um, has been very helpful. I want to keep going with the decades, but I want to, I'll forget this if I don't ask now, Billy. And you don't have to say, oh yeah, like don't go along with me. But I want to know if it was easier for you in dealing with my emotional overload, Joey's passionate overload, that Joe is also a nine, and he's always modeling that, almost always modeling that, <laughs> staying present and and being okay with all that. Does, does he's, it help? He's modeled that it can be done. Yes, he has modeled that it can be done. And I I think once people know that we have worked real hard at all of these relationships, then I think we're always modeling behavior, good or bad, but we're always modeling. So the question is, was that helpful 
or was it, or did it have any effect? It did have some effect because I think overall, if you love somebody, you make it work, right? And so when I met Joey and, you know, we were, were building a relationship together, it was it was difficult at times because I didn't know how to handle that, you know, the intensity and the lust for life and the, the full throttle all the time. But then, yes, when I sit, when I saw someone who was in a relationship who was similar to the person that I was in a relationship with and did things and said things like I did and said things, then absolutely it was helpful. Um, it, as just like if you had a mentor at work or, or whatever, having somebody who that I could see on a, you know, a regular basis being able to, to handle all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the way that was natural because that's how he does things as a nine. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that we're starting to experience a lot at the Micah Center that I think is really cool, and correct me on the actual phrase here, but the one of the mottos is work that yeah. you do by yourself that you can't do alone. Yeah. yeah. Kind me. of our byline is the Micah Center, a place for solitary work that can't be done alone. And one of the things that I see happening with the groups that we're starting up and getting going is that now couples are coming and not doing couple work alone. So it's the same thing where you see it from other people and not even with this scenario, it works out well that it's an older nine and younger nine, but people see that other people are working on Mm -hmm. the struggle and the relationship and sharing the good parts it's not number specific, mm-hmm. learning that from each other. I think uh, I've been told maybe 50 times that one of the most important lines people hear me say when I'm teaching Know Your Number is that I introduce by talking about dad and talking about the reality that he is the best person I know. And then I say, and here are the things that drive me crazy about him. And it's like, that's it. It's like, this is the person I love most in the world. And these things make me crazy, right? I think it speaks to the to really the magic of the Enneagram, though, you know, because Billy and I, we've been, yes, we've been on this journey together since we were 18 and 19. Um, but I, we aren't good as a couple if we're not doing our work individually. And, and that's where it really, when I'm my healthiest, best self, um, and, and I'm really working to bring up feeling, and Billy is his healthiest, best self, and he's really working to bring up doing. Man, we it's it's really um, wonderful. Yeah, I think it's mystical. It, it's like something's happening that's bigger than we are. Yeah. All right, let's get to early marriage. So we're married, and we don't have children yet. Um, man, let me get there in my brain. I think I can get you there. Okay. I got a. I have a, one of my favorite stories about the two of you is um, y'all were going back to Arkansas for the football draft, for a fantasy football draft. And you were working on the fact that it wouldn't be healthy for your marriage long-term for you to let Joey lead, Billy, for you to let her lead or let her make plans all the time wouldn't be good. And you were to, I need to hand some things off because this is what I intuitively do. And so the deal was, if I remember correctly, Billy, you were going to plan the trip to Arkansas and to get there and 
everything having to do with where this cabin might be and meeting with everybody and all that, and you were going to let him do that. And you, you, Joey, called me from there, and I said, how did it go with Billy planning the trip? And you said, thank God I had a backup plan. Do you remember that? Do you remember it, Billy? Kind of. Yeah. It, it, I believe that it's true because it sounds like something I would do. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what I, the reason I love the story, and I use it sometimes to teach, is because it's, a, it's not an easy let go. Right. For an eight to just decide in a meeting with your spouse. And dad and I happened to be there when y'all talked about, we got to kind of divide and conquer here. Um, it, I, it's yeah. not an easy let go, right? No. no. And I actually, that, that I don't remember that specific. Um, I do know, and I've taught with this before, um, knowing that entering our marriage um, and knowing that I um, am great at multitasking and like to be in charge and see ahead so quickly. You know, I think people um, often feel run over by eights. Um, and it's because eights process so quickly. They're, they're just, they've just already gone through that. So for us, um, give, I, when we first got married, um, Billy took over all the finances. And that, you know, wasn't an easy handoff for me, right. A. B, it took three years. I would say it took three years for me to really um, say it's, and trust mm -hmm. that it was all being handled. And I would say, too, that's, that's kind of how the progression of things would work. So the, the example that you use for the, the planning of the Arkansas trip, I would have messed that up many more times than I would have gotten it right then. Now I would still mess it up every once in a while, but less regularly. Mm -hmm. To Joey's example, taking over the finances, I'm quite sure that in the beginning there were some decimals in the wrong places mm -hmm. or some incorrect payments or things like that. But now I, because I know that Joey trusts me to do that and because she has just completely sort of backed off from that because it's, she knows that I have that then I take that on and it matters more to me. Whereas mm -hmm. even something like finances to a nine may not matter as much as it would to everybody else, including an eight. And so I think that's kind of an example of sort of the progression of how things have gone with, and for a relationship with an eight and a nine who have done some work. Exactly. That's exactly what I think too. And I think one of the important pieces of that is that the reason you would have messed it up, the Arkansas trip, because that's non, you know, the, the reason you would have messed that up more times than not is because of how you see. It has nothing to do with deficit. And I think when people are trying to work out number differences, they begin to think that somehow if they mess something up, it's about deficit. And it's not. It's about how you see and what you notice and what the other person notices and orientation to time. Thank you for saying that because that's important for me. Um, you know, when you love someone for, as much and for as long as I've loved Billy, I, I almost feel sometimes like I'm the nine crusader, <laughs> you know, that nines, it's not that, um, it, that he's deficient. Um, and it's quite frankly, not that he doesn't care, uh, the way Billy, he's so tightly boundaried internally and externally and the way he sees uh, naturally is to not be affected by the world. Yeah. And when you see that way naturally, 
you don't plan for the world to not fall into place. Right. And I expect that the world's not going to fall into place. By looking ahead. And, you, you know, dad's the same way. Dad's response to everything is, it worked out last time. Yeah. Orientation of time. I'm future and Billy's past. It's crazy different. Okay, let's add children. Oh, children were so... I loved it all. I mean, we we were married in 2003 and Will in March of 2003 and Will was born in March of 2006. So, um, it was three failed Arkansas planning trips. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, we knew, we knew we wanted to be parents of multiple children, always Billy's an only child and I'm the oldest of four. And, um, it, we were excited and ready and planned, you know, we were so ready to have Will. And, um, we love being parents. I mean, that's, uh, it's what we do with our lives now. Um, and with Will and Sam, Will is um, 12 and Sam is nine. And, um, man, as young parents, you got a, you got some Enneagram stories on that. I think we, we're always trying to assess what we, the Enneagram number we thought our kids were. And I don't know that there's a magic age where that kind of falls into place, but early on it, it didn't run the gamut, but it was always a handful of, he could be this or this or this or this or this. And somewhere along the way, just through a series of events and just mannerisms and you name it, we were able to, I think, identify both of our boys um, and try to parent them mm-hmm. from where we find ourselves as our Enneagram numbers and where they are in theirs. From a strictly Enneagram perspective, I would say as young parents, um, I was very fiercely aggressive in protecting my children, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is probably a given you would think, but, um, to the point of expecting that someone was not taking care of them the best mm-hmm. way. So, um, to this day, (laughs) starting with their daycare all the way leading up to now, if, if there's an issue at school, they call Billy (laughs) because I'm going to be passionate, be very passionate. Yep. We were at the small group last night and there's this woman there who's an eight. And she says that when she comes in to the school, she's known as like the the woman who calls the press because of her, they, the yeah. passion of it. Mm-hmm. I made the decision on, I have a, a story about Will as a baby. I picked up Will from the daycare um, that we had chosen and um, his as a baby. And that's hard to, to I, I know that I know I'm my, the best mom for my kids if I'm working and not staying at home. Um, but it's hard to leave your kid anywhere ever, especially your first baby. And I, we'd been there a few months probably. And I picked him up one day and his diaper had not been changed. And I was, um, not happy. And for me, it's not screaming and throwing things. It's, I want to know who's responsible and I want to know why I want to know where, where the disconnect happened. Um, and from that, from that point forward, the woman who was responsible, 
I'll never forget the head of the daycare essentially said, well, we can, because I'm so passionate and I'm standing there and I'm demanding answers. And her, um, answer to me was what she was offering up to me was to fire this woman. And I said, absolutely not. I don't want her fired. I just want her to do her job when it comes to caring for my child. That surprised everyone there. And for months after the woman, you know, who I'm talking about, the woman who that was, she came to me, you know, uh, with tears and Mm -hmm. apologized. And I knew that my kid was going to get the best care from that moment forward. I think people think sometimes eights are into just heads rolling for justice. And for me, it's, and I think a lot of eights, we don't, that doesn't serve any purpose for heads to roll. I just need you to take the best care of my child Mm -hmm. Because that's your job. And if it was my job, I would do it the very best. I think it's that. And I, I think part of justice with an eight is just tell me what happened. Just be reasonable and tell me what happened. That's all I need to know, really. Just the facts. Just give me the facts. So I want to take a little side trip and then we'll come back. My audience, when I'm teaching, and I know y'all are both teaching, we're going to talk about that too, but I don't know, we haven't talked about the average age of the audiences that you're teaching, but the average age of my audience in the last two years, I think has dropped about 15 or 20 years. Mine too. And I'm encountering mothers who are aggressive numbers, threes, sevens, or eights, who want to stay home for a year or two years with their babies and and for a lot of different reasons feel like they're supposed to, who are really struggling with that. And I don't know where that's going to come up in the future, but it's on the table right now by you saying I'm the best mom when I'm working. Do you have anything to say to moms that are struggling with, aggressive moms that are that love their jobs and are trying to stay home and Do you have anything to offer that the Enneagram gave you as an aggressive number? You can't, for for aggressive numbers, feelings are repressed. And you cannot just manufacture feelings. That is a journey you have to take. And quite frankly, it's a painful journey. You have to actually feel pain first and other things to really bring up and be cognizant of feelings. And I think that um, often we feel like, especially as an eight, I love um, babies and children because of the innocence there. I just have always had a very natural tie there. Um, But that's just being with them more isn't the answer because we still have to be stimulated because we're still (laughs) feeling oppressed, meaning we're doing or thinking dominant. Most of us, that's where we, that's where we use the most, those two centers the most. And so you, you, the, uh, staying home with your baby may not necessarily be the answer, but coming home, having been stimulated and given back and contributed to something bigger than yourself. Uh, it's, it kind of takes all of that energy and, and uses it up. So, so we're much softer when we come. Oh, out. that's so good. That's so helpful and so good. Do we have young any twenties for you, Billy, as a parent? I, I will say this about 
since I, I haven't yet made it to 40, I'm, I'm, I'm close, but I'm not quite there yet. Once we had identified our boys' numbers, there's, there's some, some pros and cons that have come with the, uh, me and my number, right? So as a nine, one of the things that I've noticed that's been very helpful for me is when they're not okay, I'm able to quickly sort of jump in their shoes and see it from their perspective at, for Will, as a 12-year-old and as a four. I'm not a four, but I can, from, from what I know of the Enneagram and from now teaching it, I can really try to see things from his perspective and then meet him halfway. Same thing with, with Sam as a nine-year-old and a seven. I'm not a seven, but I've been around sevens and I, I know the, the characteristics that make that up. And so I'm able to sort of try and meet them there and then take it from there. Um, one of the, one of the cons or an area that's been challenging is while I, I am trying to meet them where they are and parent them the best that I can, I also kind of fall back into some of the negative aspects of being a nine where I'll listen to Will come home and say something awful happened to me at school and then I'll hear about it. And then in my head, I'm thinking, well, that's not that bad and it doesn't matter that much. And why do you care that much? Mm -hmm. But that's the way that I see it mm -hmm. and the way that I think. And it matters a lot to him. Same thing with Sam as a seven. You know, he'll come home and he'll he'll tell me a story and, you know, maybe he got in trouble or something happened, whatever. It doesn't matter. And then I'll think, well, I wouldn't have done that. And you shouldn't have said that because now this is going to happen. And if you had only fill in the blank, but I'm a nine and mm -hmm. he's a seven and mm -hmm. it doesn't work that way. So what I've realized is it's really had, it's made me step up my game, right? Like we all should be doing mm -hmm. as an adult and, and then as a parent. And so that's been really, it, it's come to light in my thirties, obviously, because our children are now of age where we're able to experience these kinds of things, mm -hmm. um, but extremely helpful nonetheless. So. And I, I think we are pretty sure about their numbers. But I just want to add that if, if you were wrong about their number, there's no harm being done by meeting them where they are. And I think what helps us meet children where they are is an awareness that they could be one of nine places, eight of which are not how we would react, which is super helpful, I think. It seems like the biggest part of everything there was recognizing that you're projecting possibly how you would react to it. And then like you're both saying and leaving it open to that is not how they are seeing this at all. That's absolutely the case. And it, again, it, and that transcends, you know, being a spouse, being a parent, it's, it's who it's dealing with your family. It's dealing with your colleagues. It doesn't matter. It's knowing that, exactly how you see things and knowing that there are eight other numbers out there that don't and then being able to find a way to make that work in harmony with all. Yeah. Yeah. That assumption that we're pretty much all the same is just such a dangerous assumption. What would you say is the greatest benefit through 15 years of marriage as you enter your 40s? of the Enneagram looking back and looking forward. I, I never want to say things flippantly, so I wouldn't say I don't know that we would be together without the Enneagram, 
but we would ne- there's no way we would have the marriage we do and be the parents we are without the Enneagram. No way. Flashback early, early 20s, very early 20s. I wanted you, do you remember my old Corolla? And I wanted, I was, wanted you to step up and fight with me so much I broke the handle on the car door. There you go. Intensity. Intensity. So there's there's that. That was the most intimate y'all have ever been. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I would say that looking forward, I would be, without the Enneagram, I would be not a good mom for Will without the Enneagram. So I'm an eight and Will's a four. And we both have a ton of passion and a ton of intensity. And Will is feeling dominant. So he's feeling all the time. With the same passion and intensity that I'm repressing feelings. <laughs> and, you know, a four who is a, um, a second grader, fours... When we teach fours and say that fours, you know, want to know the meaning of life and ask deep questions, that doesn't happen as an adult. <laughs> that they, they want meaning and depth always. Mm-hmm. So for Will to be a four and a second grader, you know, he the, the conversation at the lunch table yeah. is not um, an area that Will navigates easily. Because he wants depth and meaning. And to be his mom and to be an eight and to be protective. Seeing that about him but not knowing Enneagram, mm-hmm. I would try to change him. Yeah. So, so that know, he would fit in. So you know that brings up one of my stories that's the hardest one I tell, I think. And that is that uh, BJ, the youngest of my children, who's a four, I, I remember saying to him, in junior high, when he was so lonely, do you think if you could just be a little more like other kids, it would help? And I regret that more than any sentence I've ever said to any of you. And I've got regrets, but it's like give up the thing that you value the most, which is the integrity of you being genuine and authentic. And I, you know, there's no taking that back. You, but I, I learning through that, those are the moments when the Enneagram gets your attention, gets my attention. It's like, whoa. Yes, yes. And if what the Enneagram has given me is understanding of who he is. Yeah. And so giving him room, giving him room to be who he is and have comfort for who he is and be able to um, verbally unpackage things with me at home. Um, he does great at school. Yeah. Great. Um, he absolutely is a, a renaissance man yeah, <laughs> and brings a lot yeah. to the table and knows that, you know, there, there's those feelings just, just swirling around mm. all the time, yeah. all the time. Let's talk a little bit about you and me as a mother and daughter and Billy, you and me as a mother-in-law and a son-in-law. I worry 
that people who listen to the podcast or who hear any of us teach sometimes don't know how hard we work at all of this. We work hard at family and at making family work. And there is no magical, you you go to a weekend workshop and you've got this. It's like, we work at it all the time. We work at making room and offering grace all the time. Enneagram doesn't mean you don't fight. It right. just gives you a way to relate to one another, right. to explain when you've been hurt. We're still going to hurt each other in relationship. Right. We And we do. Yes. And there's always a bridge. It's like we're just never without a bridge. So you and I, it's interesting because one of the stories I thought of earlier, Billy, when you were talking is Joe loves to tell the story about when you went on vacation with us the first time and he was fly fishing with you in the river and he asked you if you like me and what would you say? <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yes, sir, I do. And he said, well, that's good because you're about to marry her because Joey's so much like her and we are so much alike and we are so different, so different. And you bring out the best in me because you don't accommodate needless neediness. And that is my unhealthy sweet spot for manipulation. So that's been really good for me. And I just love to hear you say what's been really good for you. (laughs) (laughs) I... I think the greatest lesson that you've given me is stick-to-itiveness in relationships. Um, No matter what happens, that you built that relationship for a reason and that it takes work, but that it's worth it. And... I feel like as you and I have navigated life as, um, you know, uh, very different women, very different women, but with a lot of the same passions mm-hmm. and values and I values. I know that I can come to you and have, if you did hurt my feelings mm-hmm. and we've, we've navigated those and vice versa. Absolutely. I don't know that a lot of, I I don't think that a lot of families do that. I think it's just easier to just maybe nurse the pain or, you know, be upset. Um, It takes more work Mm -hmm. to come together and say, okay, this, this hurt me. And let's, I want to talk about it. You verbally process and you are feeling dominant. So, those two things um, led the way for you and I talking through things. For mm-hmm. me saying, okay, wait, I'm probably not angry because anger is the first emotion, but not ever the primary emotion. Yeah. Especially for me. Yeah. And so I often flash to anger when I've been hurt. Yeah. And um, for sure, uh, you have, you have, shown me how to get past the flash anger. I can't imagine no us. Right? I can't even imagine it. All right, Billy. Thanks for listening. 
I hope you'll join us again next week for the continuation of this conversation and visit lifeinthetrinityministry.com to find out about how you can register for boot camp. The Enneagram Journey podcast is produced by Life in the Trinity Ministry. Music is provided by Solve Lighthouse. Professional photography is courtesy of Courtney Perry. We invite you to visit the Enneagramjourney.org for more information, and we welcome your questions and comments. Thank you for being with us today.